Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. What up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano with you. The Nationals wrap up a home stand and are heading on a wacky road trip, Paul. They're heading down wacky. to South Beach and then the beautiful South Beaches of Miami and then going to frigid cold Colorado. This is true. They go to How Colorado. How do you pack for that? They go to Colorado and then don't forget where they go after that. Where are they going after that? San Diego. San Diego. Yep. They Man, that is a, that is a, yeah, that's a lot of miles. That? That's the stuff we don't think about, Bobby. That's you know? the stuff people like our good friend Alex Chapel and F.P. Santangelo and Bob Carpenter. No longer Dan Coco, though. Have no to, longer Dan Coco. Have to think about that. Um, oh, wait, hold on. Oh, baby. Yeah, there it is. Dan, that's Dan excited that he gets to stay in a comfy, warm studio for the pre- and post-game shows. Oh, baby. For this road trip. Oh, baby. Classic day. I'm just going to keep playing this. Yeah, it's great. Sorry. Tell you, we're going to wear out that button this this season. Yeah. Um, Bobby, um, before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of things, um, did you know they have Pop-Tarts now in the kitchen at Masson? Uh, well, I mean, they, we've had Pop-Tarts before. Yeah, but they're rare, I would say. They're a little rare. We get a variety of snacks, yeah. And typically, they're like there are two boxes in there now. One's a strawberry, which is the worst flavor of Pop-Tarts, but they Ooh. have a brown... Uh, cinnamon sugar yeah, in there right now. Those, those are the best. And uh, I've already consumed enough sugar to kill a small horse this morning. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and horses like sugar. Do they? Uh, that's, that we eat sugar cubes? You ever give a no. horse a sugar cube? I'm not. I, mm, I maybe have been around a horse three times in my life. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, wow. We didn't do too many, like... Like, I think the, the clear time I went to a, was close to a horse one time was, like, you know, when you're, like third grade you guys go to like a pumpkin patch for yeah. for like a fall field and trip you, you get to ride the horses right yeah. that's maybe like one time the other time was really like yeah gotta be careful around horses yeah they they're kind of uh, they're big my uh my mom grew up on a farm oh and so she was so around a lot of horses you're a frequent horseman i'm not i am not she is she moved back into back to philly um ah. which uh there actually are a surprising number of horses in philly yeah you wouldn't think hmm. a lot of people ride horses around well, in the city yeah look up pictures it's kind of crazy Oh, actually, you're right. I've seen just that. like regular yeah, people yeah. riding horses. I don't know why. I think it's like a thrill thing more than a transportation thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but just thought I'd let you know. I, you know what? Actually, I have seen that. Uh, wow, we got from Pop Tarts to horses. Oh, pop back to Pop Tarts before we get into baseball. Sounds like a segment name. Pop Tarts to horses. Pop Tarts to horses. Shoop <laughs> tonight. Pop Tarts to horses. New band name called it. Yeah. Um, are you a toasted or frozen Pop Tarts guy? Oh, we're going back to Pop Tarts. I thought you were going to cut back to baseball. No, well, let's keep talking Pop Tarts. Yeah. Because uh, I was going to ask that before we got the frozen Pop Tarts. You've never frozen your Pop Tarts? That doesn't sound good oh, at delicious. all. Oh, delicious. So good. You warm up your Pop Tarts. That's the point of it. Yeah, I know, but like, oh, you, maybe you're too young. Like, uh, they threw out a couple. I'm trying to think. It just it, seems it like it would the kill cookie, the flavor. The cookies and cream pop tarts are also very good. Uh, uh, those are delicious. They're like you throw them in the freezer overnight, and you they're they're like nice and cold when you eat them in the morning. Oh. Dude, it's so good. All right, that uh, you're starting to convince me. Have you ever also? I promise we're not sponsored by anyone, but also we're not sponsored by Iron Rooster. Have you ever gotten the Iron Rooster homemade pop tarts? No. Unbelievable. <laughs> First of all, they're like three times the size of, you know, like store-bought Pop-Tarts. Yeah. And I, the cookies and cream, like, is amazing. It's, like, so thick inside, and then they just cover the thing with, like, 
the it's like the sugary icing with actual Oreos on top. It's unbelievable. You're looking up the closest Iron Rooster, I can tell. I'm not. Um, There's a place on uh, Ted's, oh, Bull- Ted's Bulletin. Ted's Bulletin. I've been there, too. Yeah. Those Pop-Tarts are redonkulous. Really, really good. They, their Street. milkshakes are unbelievable. And yeah. they, they're one of those places that gives you the milkshake and then gives you the rest of the milkshake yeah. that they didn't use in that little tin. That's classic. That is like the the best perk. Yeah. They're like uh, the classic. It's awesome having a classic like kind of old school diner-esque yeah. type of restaurant just in the middle of D.C. Yeah. That's it, awesome. Exactly. It, it makes me say, oh, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah. It makes me, makes me say that too. All right. Well. So we're not a Pop Tarts podcast. We're a baseball podcast. We um, can be a Pop Tarts. We should do a Pop 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 Pod. You want to do a Pop Pod? Pop Pod. pod? <laughs> pop, pod. <laughs> um, all right, the Nationals. Uh, again, like we said, going on a wacky road trip. They got through the gauntlet, which was the early mm-hmm. part of their schedule. Um, just above five hundred. They're nine and eight currently right now. After taking two or three from the Giants, after dropping two or three to the Pirates at home. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul. I think the overarching question right now is, so do the Nationals now need to start revving it up and, yeah. and start tearing through these opponents, especially with this road trip going through Miami, going to Colorado. Colorado is not playing as well as people expected them to. Yeah, Going to the Padres, who are playing better than people expected them to, but maybe a little above their weight class right now. Right. Well, I think um, Mark Zuckerman of MadisonSports.com put it perfectly. He said they need to stop th- surviving and need to start thriving. Hey. Because the... Th- this the is why he's a writer. That's exactly... Yeah, we couldn't put it any better. Um, he, the Nats at this point, it was... Yeah, he's exactly right. It has been about surviving, just getting through this gauntlet of the schedule that has been at the early few weeks. But guess what? You're going to have to keep facing these teams. That's the thing is like... Yeah, you face the tough teams early on, but they're also your division opponents. So, you know, it's going to be tough as the season goes along. Um, yeah, and, and it's just a matter of, especially, I guess, because of the way the bullpen has been, it's just been a matter of let's get through the game and let's pray that our bullpen holds on to the lead or let's pray that it's like a safe situation that we can throw Sean Doolittle in or let's pray our offense gives them just enough of a lead. Um and, it, you know, and that's why they're a 9-8 and eight team right now is because you can't, they are not getting it consistently every time, and they're not blowing teams out. Um, they are having to be in cl- cl- close games, tough situations, where they're having to use Sean Doolittle because it's a save situation. Um, that's just, it's been a grinded out kind of uh, first few weeks of the season. So they need to, need to flip it on its head and say, okay, if we're a good team, we need to play like a good team and not just a team that's going to just try to get through these games. Right. Was it uh, Wednesday night? You and I were at Nats Park, Mm -hmm. and that was a game you had left, but that was a game where the Nationals had a seven-run lead going into the ninth inning, and they ended up having to use Sean Doolittle. He threw 18 pitches. They eventually won, so a W is a W, but they only won by three. And then the next day, you're in a much closer ball game and actually need Sean Doolittle for the ninth to record the save. And, I mean, he got it. He got through it, but he kind of labored. And you just have to wonder, does – I mean, he's a closer. He, he's a relief pitcher. He's used to pitching back-to-back days. But you have to wonder, you know, he was – there was no need for him at the start yeah. to having to pitch no. in, in that game on Wednesday night. So having to use him Thursday – I mean, I just wonder if those 18 pitches on Wednesday kind of brought Sean Doolittle down. You're right. Uh, they're kind of surviving right now. And, yeah. and, 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 and you know, hopefully, ideally, you would be using your closer on much closer games and saving him. And, you know, we talk about not wanting to tax Max Scherzer or Patrick Corbin or Steven Strasburg too often in the season. We don't want to tax Sean Doolittle too. 
I think he's something like the Nationals have played. Uh, they have won nine games. He's pitched in eight of them. Yeah. Um, and he's just throwing a lot. And he's already th- he's thrown nine and two thirds innings. He's already faced forty three batters. I think. Uh huh. Um, which is he faced uh, about 160 last year. So and he's, he's already, already had the tr- fourth of the way there. Davey's already thrown him out there at least once to try to get him a multiple inning save, yeah. like five or four out saves, which, you know, this early in the season, you would hope you wouldn't have to do with your closer. But here we are. And and you just wonder, and Sean Doolittle, they, he, we were, he addressed this to reporters the other day, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. It's like, well, yeah, it'd be great if he blew everyone out, but then I get rusty because I'm not throwing every True. day. Um, it's a delicate balance. Right, but if I'm throwing every day too, like I'm on, but then, you know, at one point do I get tired out? So it's, it is yeah. a delicate balance, and the, I think the Nationals, an ideal scenario would have him pitching maybe once or twice a series. Right. Well, it's to speak to how close these games have, have been, the, according to Baseball Reference, only they've only played in two games that have been considered blowouts. Um, which is five or more runs is the final differential, and they've they're one and one in those games. They've already played in six one run games, and they've played what seventeen games so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they are close, and all, and you compare that to like the Phillies, who also have their own bullpen problems and are currently leading the division, and they've played in seven blowouts. So like it, it just there are certain benefits like, uh, and they've been blown out in two of them. That's the thing. Yeah, but at least they didn't have to. You know, it it kind of sucks because you want to be in every game. You know, you don't want to ever get blown out. But if you do, there's the nice thing of well, we can just throw anybody out on the mound and save our good um, high leverage relievers. We kind of talked about that last week when we were talking about you know it was actually a a blessing because we used Patrick. We they could use Patrick Rosenthal. Uh, what the hell, Trevor? Trevor Rosenthal. Goodness gracious, Trevor Rosenthal in a low leverage situation right. because they were getting blown out. So yeah. it's not like not a big deal. Um, and I can already think of. Multiple, at least two, maybe three instances where the Nats blew big leads and Chandelito at the very least had to start getting ready. There was the Mets game where they were up 12 to 1. This past week and against the Giants. Week, yeah. And then I think there might have been one other time where he, he may, yeah. may, maybe not, he didn't pitch, but he at least started getting loose and right. getting ready. And that's, you know, for a reliever, that's just as about. Yeah, the same thing as a throw throwing, and um, something that Dan Coco actually brought up after that game this past week on Nats extra post game was that it's extremely w- rare that you um, warm up a, a closer and not use him, right? Because you don't want to do that at any exactly. You know, that can just kind of mess with him in ways. I don't want to use the term because I hate that term. I hate that people think that that's an okay. T- like I get that it's an okay term to use, but it just weirds me out to say that. Mess with him. No, 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 no. The, the words that I'm not going to use uh, to describe uh, this situation. Okay. It, you can use it. It's fine. It's like on the radio. Uh-huh. But uh, it just is kind of, it just rubs me the wrong way. Okay. Uh, but anyway, that's, <laughs> that is. We won't use it then. Um, you can use it if you want. Uh, dry humping is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, but you don't want to do that with a reliever b- with a closer. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, so they kind of had to bring him into that game, even though they were up three. And, you know, it looked like they were starting to get the situation under control a little bit. Um, he has been awesome. Sean Doolittle has an ERA under one at this point. He gave up his first run. I yeah. Think, was it yesterday? Yeah. Um, do you, uh, it, it is a little bit concerned because he was, I mean, he right out of the gate has been on fire and his stuff has looked really crisp. But you do wonder if him giving up that run and he did has gotten a kind of gotten and danced into a little bit of trouble in the past few outings, if that is a little bit because of overuse at this point. 
Yeah, possibly. But all, and then, I don't know. You and I have never been a closer or a relief pitcher, so it's never been a baseball. Okay, well that too. <laughs> Not a hard to that. speak on yeah. how much of a mental toll does it take. You know, when you're sitting in the seventh, eighth inning, and you're the closer, and you say, "Okay, we have a nine-two lead." Right. I'm not going to have to do anything today. Yeah. I'm going to just kind of let my adrenaline kinda, go. I mean, obviously, an ideal situation, you know, a baseball player never really checks out and, yeah. you know, is always focused on the game. But it's human nature. Okay. Yeah. We have a seven run lead late in the game. I shouldn't have to be, I shouldn't have to go today. Yeah. I'm going to kind of just relax and, and let my adrenaline calm down. And then you have to rebuild yeah. it back up at the very last minute just because you have, you know, because. The, your teammates allowed some runs in the game got closer than it had to be. And Sean Dulo actually went on uh, Colin McHugh's podcast um, fairly recently. I didn't know Colin McHugh had a podcast, Astros pitcher. Mm -hmm. Um, But he talked about how difficult it was when he first became a reliever to moderate his adrenaline levels because you don't, you, for most games, you're not going to get used, but you have to be ready as if you could be thrown into any situation. And like the situation the other night and Wednesday, he had very little warning for that. You know, they all of a sudden he was getting warm as fast as possible because it went from nine two to nine six within like five minutes. Yeah, a couple of batters. Um, so yeah, so it's that is that's tough to to throw them in that situation. So any kind of respite that they can get, any kind of blowouts would be nice to have. Well, this is where the schedule comes in. Like we said, Paul, yeah. they got three games in Miami. I saw a stat via our own Byron Kerr who give. Byron a follow at Mass and Kerr on Twitter. He's down in Miami covering the series this weekend. Um, that the Marlins haven't scored a run since Monday. Oof. <laughs> this is awful. Friday when we're recording. They haven't scored a run since Monday. Uh, they are what? in dead last in the NL East. They are four and fifteen. I'm not fainting. Their run differential is minus forty nine. Um, and they Goodness are gracious. in their last ten games to are be, one and nine. To be fair, on Monday they did score. 11 runs. Okay, so that's enough for or the week. Or 10, 10 runs. 10 runs to beat the Phillies. I hate this phrase, but you know, oh, I wish we could have spread it out for the, the whole week. Um, <laughs> it's not how... That's not how this works. I know. That's not how any of this works. Yeah. People, people who say that. Yeah. Um, and then I think this is from our own Mark Zuckerman. You referenced his article on MySonSports.com earlier. It was Saturday they blew out the Phillies. Sorry, go ahead. Um, that this is the first time the Nationals are playing the Marlins. The Mets, Phillies, and Braves have already combined to go seven and two against Miami. Yeah, so, as they as they should. Right, and so now it's now it's the Nats' turn. Now right. you're up. Now you got to go at least take two of three, if not sweep. Right, um, a very inferior opponent, opponent who is playing not that great right now. Not even to a respectable level, no. having not scored since Monday. Yeah, and. The, the thing is, you know, you want the Nats, obviously, you expect them to beat up on the lesser opponents, but there just aren't that many this year. You look at the rest of their schedule for true. April, um, obviously, you have to play each of your division rival 19 times a year. So that's the Braves, who are tough and won the division last year, and the Mets and the Phillies. But then the rest of April, you have the Rockies, who are 7-12, and 12, but still have a pretty formidable team. They still have Nolan Arenado and... Um, they, you know, were, were a playoff team last year. Uh, you have the Padres, who have been playing kind of better than people expected. They have a winning record. They're eleven and nine. You have the Cardinals, who have a ten and eight record. And the thing is, all these teams that the we talked about at the beginning of the season, how there are so many teams in the National League that are going for it, and you just don't have those teams that you can 
take off for, you know what I mean? Like that you just expect easy wins and you want to win series and it's hard to do when you got to face all these teams. I, I, pretty much every team in the NL Central is going for it, you right. know? Yeah. Like even the Reds who are in the bottom of the division right now, they came into the year with expectations. Yeah. The Pirates are leading that division. And, you know, they were they expected expect- to be right. the fourth or fifth team in that and division. And they took two out three in D.C. Exactly. So pretty much almost every team with the exception of, like, the Marlins, maybe the Diamondbacks, um, maybe the Giants, are Di- going for it. Well, yeah, And the Diamondbacks are above 500 right now. Yeah. Adam Jones is playing phenomenal for them. The Giants, you were lucky to take two of three right. from them just now. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not – forget just the NL East. The whole NL is not going to be a cakewalk for no. anybody. And um, – you know, we see the Dodgers are barely holding on to a, a division lead. I mean, it's early, but that's a division that they've yeah. run away with the past couple of years. Exactly. Um, and and then you look even a, a few weeks after that, the very beginning of May, they go on a road trip. They start against the Phillies. They have three games there. Then three games at the Brewers, who oof. we know were you know were ninety plus game winners last year. And then the back to back World Series losers, the Dodgers, for four games on the road. So you're talking about that's 10 games right there on the road against three teams that very well could win their divisions. Right. Um, and are and are stacked yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is just not. And then right after that, they face the Mets and the Cubs at home. And then go back and place the Mets. <laughs> like, yeah, there is. The only, I mean, yeah, Met, wow. There, what light about, at the end of the tunnel do they have? I don't know. We have to keep going through the schedule. We're talking about the early par- portion of this schedule being tough. I mean, look at, I mean, I haven't even looked at May. And this May is, you're not having a quote-unquote easy no. opponent until the 24th. The weekend of the 24th, you have a four-game series at home against the Marlins. Yeah. And then you go to Atlanta for two games, get a day off, and then you the 31st is at the Reds. Yeah. So that's five games out of the whole month of May that is going to be a quote-unquote easy win, cakewalk, yeah. inferior opponent because you're playing contenders the yeah. rest of the way. I don't, That's I, insane. Yeah, and the, the Nats, at the beginning of the season, they don't have a streak, a win streak or a loss streak greater than two games at this point. The high, they, they have won two in a row before, and they've lost two in a row, but they, don't, they haven't won three in a row. They haven't lost three in a row so far. I don't think they're going to be able to string together many win streaks. Um, that's just not going to, you know, it's just not going to happen where they're going to have a month where they have an eight-game win streak or something. Yeah. So they just have to grind it out every single series and hope that they can win two out of three or three out of four. Yeah, and I, I am quickly scanning through the rest of their schedule. It does look like it gets slightly easier, in quotation marks, yeah. um, and after also, the All-Star break. So it's just, man, can you get through this first half yeah. of the season? And then, conversely, you know, you see... The Philly schedule and the Mets schedule, the Braves, all right, you know, they've already played the Marlins. Maybe their schedule's a little easier right now. Maybe it gets harder for them as the season goes on. While if the Nats kind of just, you know, we want them to thrive. For We talk about thriving on this road trip, but then May is tough. If they kind of can just survive the right. first couple months of the season, be in the conversation by the All-Star break, and then because I'm looking at beginning of August – no, that's July, excuse me, August. D-backs, Giants again. Yeah. You get the Reds again. The Pirates, maybe by that point, the Pirates have kind of faltered. Right. Who knows what happens with the Cubs. The Cubs could go either way. Well, that's, and then the Orioles and the Marlins again. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you know, we're still less than 20 games into the season. We have no idea. Some of these, I think some of these teams are going to be pretenders. I think, you know, 
I think eventually the Giants will fall off. I think probably the Pirates will fall off. Probably the Reds will fall off. Like I think, you, like you like to say a lot, like the law of averages will play yeah, out. Exactly, and and I still think one of these teams, whether it's the Phillies, the Braves, or you, you can't have all these teams that are going to be, you know, ninety game winners. I don't think. So I think one of them is going to get hit with the injury bug, or something's going to happen. You know, the Mets tend to crumble in the second half of seasons anyway. Yeah. Um, the Braves are kind of hanging on by, by the skin of their teeth. They're 500 right now. So yep. maybe one of these teams will fall away. You just hope it's not the Nets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's it's just, you just got to keep your head above water at this point. I mean, talk about the grind of the baseball season. It's it's never too early. It's also never too late, though. Yeah. So keep, keep grinding. Um, all right, so this quote-unquote easy stretch where the Nationals need to thrive starts tonight. Friday night, 6.30 on Masson 2. They're in Miami. Again, Byron Kerr has you covered from Marlins Park. That's not Marlins Park anymore. What is it now? Oh, I have no idea. Did it's they change it? I thought they did change it. I don't know. They changed so much about it. Uh, I do like the Marlins' new color scheme and logo, though. Um, yes, they actually did pretty well. It's still called Mar- Marlins Park. Oh, okay, Marlins like, Park without yeah. the statue in the middle. Um, at Masson Kerr on Twitter. Of course, MassonSports.com has you covered um, and uh, throughout, the, throughout the series. Uh, Nationals and Marlins. All right, Paul, we have a new segment we want to introduce, um, kind of a overarching theme. We don't want to get too specific, too focused on day-to-day operations, kind of looking at the more big picture. Yeah, Yeah, more big picture conversations. So we have six questions. Paul, you recently did, I don't know if people saw at Mass Nationals on Twitter and Facebook, uh, a piece about Anthony Rendon. What number does Anthony Rendon wear? He wears number six. So we have six questions, not all Anthony Rendon related, but he has he is part of some of them. I just picked the number six. You just gave it a reason. Well, I'm trying to bail you out. I'm giving you. <laughs> Thank you. That's the reason. I think you subconsciously picked six because you did a piece on Anthony Rendon. Yeah, uh, that's probably that's probably why. Oh baby! I had no reason to play that. Just wanted to. It's all. It's just so much fun. All right, we have six questions about the kind of the uh, bigger pick picture stuff um, with the Nationals. The first one up. Starts with number six. Will Anthony Rendon be a legit MVP contender by season's end? I say yes for this one, Bobby. I do. Um, his stats obviously are mind-boggling at this point. To me, he's not always. He hasn't really been a, a hot starter per se um, in his career. So the fact that he is getting out to a hot start to me says that he can um, carry it on as the season goes along. Look, we know he's legit. We've watched him for years, and his stats have gone up every single season since 2015. Every year, his average has gone up. Um, his slugging has gone up. His home run numbers are typically around the same, like 24, 25, and he's already got six. So, to me, Anthony Rendon is still going to be a, an MVP candidate by season's end. What do you say? I would say yes, too. Um, my only concern is the the national attention he gets. Right. You know, it's not – I think this is such – and we've seen it before, the voting process is kind of such a – I don't want to call it an old man's club, but it's kind of an old man's club where, you know, if you don't have a big sexy name, you're not going to get the votes. Rendon, while he's respected well amongst his peers and locally, obviously, in the media, uh, I don't think he has the name recognition nationally like a Nolan Arenado, like a Bryce Harper. um, Like a a uh, Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich. I mean, also Christian Yelich is playing phenomenal right now, too. So I think it's... um, Cody Bellinger. Will he be a? I will say yes. He will be a contender. Yeah, I'm not saying he's necessarily right. 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 The question is, will he be a contender? But I think absolutely yes. We saw him finish in the top five in 2014. 
I think he's on pace for a top five, if not top three finish this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only a matter of time. And, and, he, and this is his pay year. And, and Anthony yeah. Rendon, we know he's having conversations. They're continuing conversations with the Nationals uh, about a possible contract extension. They're, the Nationals don't want to let this guy go because they know how good he is. They know he's, he's an MVP-type talent. Um, and he's putting on a show and showing them that, yeah, don't you don't want to let a guy like me go. So I would say, yes, he's going to be a contender. I'll even go as far as saying he'll be in the top five. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you, though, on that point that, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't draw as much recognition. And I think sometimes what you get is uh, voters tend to get caught up in the storylines, I think. Like last year, it was like Christian Yelich got kind of cast off by Miami and then yeah. leads the Brewers back to the playoffs. And, the, whoa, what a great storyline that is. And, you know, I think that can um, – voters can get caught up in that. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily be like an awesome storyline if, you know, just he just gets better and better and he's just a quiet player who just – every year just gets better and does his thing. So they might not get, you know, he might not draw headlines that way. And then voters don't consider him in the subconsciously like a true MVP candidate. Well, here's how he does get the headlines. What if him and the nationals do get that contract extension done during season this year? And then he carries the nationals to a postseason season yeah. or a division title yeah. and say, wow, Rendon just carried the nationals without Bryce Harper. Yeah. To that the postseason. could, that could be kind of like a story. That line. would it's be like, the, probably the big storyline that like, could, no, he's get, the franchise. Player. Yeah, yeah. That could bring him that national attention yeah. that he might need to win an MVP. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. absolutely fair. All right. Number two, this is the big one because obviously the major concern right now for the nationals is that bullpen. Will the Nats trade for relievers, and if so, how many? I say yes, and I look back to two years ago when they made those trades for Doolittle, Kinsler, and Madsen, and they basically didn't have a, a bullpen <laughs> at that point yeah. in the season, and they got their seven, eight, nine guys um, that they ended up using for most of the rest of the season in the, in the playoffs. To me, assuming they're still going to be around a little bit above 500, around 500, in a few weeks, a, a month or so, I think they're going to make a move. Um, and I think they're going to trade. I think they could trade for three guys. I really do. Wow. And I think three, not just three guys, but three high-level names. Um, I think, you know, whether it's, um, I, I don't know who is even going to be out there that they could go and get. Um, but, you know, they're going to try to, I think they're going to try to get three guys that they can count on in high-leverage situation. Wow. I'm going to agree with that. Yes, they will. Make a move, a trade. Now, trade or signing? So here's the caveat. Well, that's the thing. The yeah. question says trade. It does say trade. But there's a guy out there that's still available. and Dallas Keuchel? No, another one. He's also available. Mm. Uh, Craig Krimbrell. Now, obviously reports he's starting to get linked to other teams um, as we're getting probably closer to him actually signing. The Who Nationals knows? are still... Hovering around that, we have to believe. Um, Mike Rizzo, I would don't think as ever out of it. Yeah. Um, despite what you know, ownership said. I mean, he'll he'll try to find a way. I mean, he he's a, obviously one of the best closers in the game. You'd be crazy not to at least try. Um, but the question is trade for. I also going to Mike Rizzo. History tells us that yes. I mean, we like you said a couple years ago, we saw the bullpen was. I don't know. We had to do a side by side comparison, but it was close to this bad, yeah. and and he went out and made a move. Um, three is a lot, though. So it is. I'm going to say they don't need three because they have their closer, um, and 
whoever they do acquire, I'm going to say two or less. So I'm going to say one or two. Okay. Um, I don't think three because that year they did trade for their closer. They seven, eight, nine. Right. They already have nine, I think. Or, you know, depending on what happens with Kimbrel, you know, they have a guy in place, a guy that they count on. So I think it's going to be at the most two. And I think, didn't they get Doolittle and Madsen in the same Together, trade? Together, yeah, yeah. They both came from the A's. Both came from the A's. Um, well, I just look at last year, too. We talked about this on the last podcast. With They got Kelvin Herrera in, like, early June. Mm-hmm. It was, like, right off the bat, pretty much. Um, so when they do these deals is going to be interesting, too. Uh, third question for you, Bobby. It's kind of good. It's kind of tough. Yeah. Uh, will Trevor Rosenthal still be on the roster by the end of the season. Yep, so kind of going along with the bullpen conversation. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Going on, I get, this might people might say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." He's I, I think the Nash we're, we're seeing progress, you know, and which was something we had we weren't seeing within the first what, 3 or 4 of his outings. Yeah. It was just he was just everywhere. He's getting guys out. He yeah. has an ERA now. I think the Nationals are counting on him to, at some point, returning to his form. Right. Um, I think if he was a complete lost cause, we would not. We would still see no progress. We have seen, albeit slight, but progress nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's a lost cause at this point. I don't think so either. And, you know, he's also, at, at one point early in the season, he was kind of, you know, you don't want to put all in one guy, but he was kind of a guy like, oh, wow, you really can't throw him out there anymore. Yeah. But now it's not, it's a bigger problem. It's not just him. It's other guys, too, that are struggling to get guys out. Or Bearclaw letting inherited runners score. So it's not just him. I, I think they're kind of counting on him, like you said, law of averages. If he had the real case of the yips, he'd be a lost cause by now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're seeing progress. So I will say that, Trevor Rosenthal does get back on track and gets back to Trevor Rosenthal, at least closer to the Trevor Rosenthal of old and stays on this roster. Yeah, I think it just depends on how long that leash is going to be because at a certain point, you can only find so many low-leverage situations that you can throw him in. And if you throw him in the high-leverage situations and he um, doesn't deliver, you know how long is that leash going to be? It's right. a really tough question. It's really tough to... And Davey said the other day that they're going to start throwing him into higher yeah. leverage situations because you have to. I mean, at some point, yeah. I mean, we talked about how many high leverage situations they've already had. Right. How many run run games? They don't have that many. Yeah, you they can't don't have that many opportunities in blowouts. Yeah, you can't just. Oh, uh, you know, it's okay. Take your time the yeah. whole way. You got to be there. all right. Nope, this is the big leagues. Yeah, you throw exactly. All right. Um, moving on. So we're halfway there. Number four. Where in the lineup will Victor Robles get the most at-bats? I don't think he's going to – we saw him bat lead off the other day. I don't think he's going to stick at nine. I think he's shown that he can um, get on base consistently. I think he's shown that he has a little bit of pop. I think he moves up that lineup. I'm just impressed that he – with the change, you know, it's pretty big change going from batting last to batting first. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he just they kind of – right next to each other. Uh, he just kind of he stuck with it, and yeah. he didn't really succumb to the pressure and, and and performed well. This kid's a player, man, and this outfield is super exciting yeah. uh, for Nationals fans and, and and the team itself. I the question is another caveat: what happens when Trey Turner comes back? Yeah, exactly. Um, we're still a couple weeks away, I'm assuming, from that, and you know. Davies, I mean, it's kind of a good problem on your hands because then at that point you could have three guys like a bad leadoff right. in 
Turner, Eaton, and Robles. So that could be fun for him to kind of maneuver. And I think that's part of the reason why Robles was hitting ninth. So you get that kind of flip of the order, yeah. back-to-back leadoff guys. Um, I'm going to say, mm, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say he sticks in the leadoff spot. You know why? Because I'm going to assume that at some point, we saw, I think, play once earlier this week. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a lot more of a, like, a Soto, Michael A. Taylor, Robles outfield. And we're going to see hmm. less of Adam Eaton. Interesting. He is hitting like 320. I know. I know. But I think that Robles is going to prove good enough to be at the top of the lineup and an everyday player. Mm-hmm. And Michael A. Taylor is also because we I think Michael A. Taylor is one of at least one of ours like kind of this is going to be a big year for Michael A. Yeah. Taylor yeah. this year. I think now that he's kind of healthy and, and getting back in the swing of things that just it's an exciting outfield man. Like yeah. those are three young guys with speed and sneaky pop. Yeah. Sneaky not so much for Juan Soto but I mean I, I it's I think it's going to be hard for Davey Martinez not to run those three guys out there every day. And uh, of the, at That's the time, just my prediction. At the time of this recording, Robles has batted ninth in 15 of their 17 games. He's also, Davey Martinez has, has had the, so he's, he's had the pitcher batting eighth every single game. Yeah. Um, so I guess he likes that. I guess he's sticking with that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I fully, we had a conversation about this yesterday off the air. I don't know if I fully understand the, the thinking behind it. I guess is it's that, you know, like it's, you turn the lineup over an extra guy, like one guy earlier i don't know it's it's a little bit odd to yeah me, there's a couple of thoughts that goes along with it i mean i guess not an ideal situation i mean it's, you know you have three outs so one two three four five six seven eight nine yeah i guess the idea is that the pitcher isn't the last out of the inning so you get those first two outs and then basically you get the pitcher coming up and basically you're kind of conceding the inning now it's right over because your pitcher's not a great hitter so by batting him in the two hole, I guess, of that particular inning, yeah. one, they can't pitch around him because if you put him on base, then you have a legit hitter coming up. Right. And two, you know, even if he is, even if he does record an out as it probably expected, mm-hmm. you ha- that's not the end of the inning. So you have right. another guy coming up who can try to continue the inning. Well, and then he, if he gets on base, you flip the lineup over, your top of the order is coming up, and now you may have a scoring position yeah. or a scoring chance with two outs. And you definitely, like, protect, or you give you give Robles more pitches to see if he's batting ninth than if he were batting eighth and the pitcher were batting ninth. Correct. Because they could pitch around Robles and throw to, you know. Correct. And, um, and also, you have the idea that, you know, how many at-bats is the pitcher going to get? Maybe three at the most. And so before you turn to a pinch hitter. Right. So, you know, that that eighth spot could be taken up by a legit hitter. Yeah. So, yeah, I see it. I see it. It's just kind of – it's interesting that he's totally – he messed with it last year, batting the pitcher eighth, and now he's uh, converted. He's totally going with it. Well, we know he we know he's said multiple times, I, I need to be more consistent with my lineups because yeah. I need guys sure. batting in the same spots every day so they can get a better rhythm. Um, and, and hopefully more production. Um, okay, so we both say a top of the lineup for Robles? Yeah. Okay. All right. For I, yeah, I would say, eh, yeah, I guess he, I, yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Um, all right, number five, back to pitching, starting pitching this time. Will Patrick Corbin have a lower ERA than Max Scherzer by season's end? You know, I, I wrote this question because I was think I looked at it. Scherzer has like a 3-3-3, even, uh, and... Um, 
Corbin has under a three at this point, I believe. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know if he, uh, you know, Corbin has looked every part an ace, I would say. He doesn't have the wins to back it up. He's only got the one win so far. Uh, but Corbin has looked like the guy that um, they were hoping they were going to get when they signed. Um, and at this point, you know, we've talked about it for years now. At what point are we going to start to see a little bit of a slight regression for Max? I don't think we've seen a regression. But I think it's interesting because, look, Strasburg has not been the ace we expected in the last few years. So now we have, like, another ace, a true another ace still on this staff in Patrick Corbin. So he could kind of rival him for the Cy Young voting, potentially, and for the, the number one spot, basically on the, you know, in terms of statistics in that Nats rotation. Yeah, Patrick Corbin has looked like a stud in all four of his first um, national starts this yeah. season, and the, the guy that they thought they were bringing over. Um, it's just, I think, I don't know, I it's hard for me not to... You can't count out Max. Right, or at least just give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, now, he, I would have to double check this, but, you know, he's not, ERA is what I guess some people are saying lost him to Cy Young last year because Jacob deGrom's ERA yeah. oh, was definitely. insane. And now while Max was very good as well, it was it was higher. Yeah. Um, so I don't think ERA is typically, like, the stat that he, he's more, he's a strikeout guy. You yeah. know, he's going to, he wants outs, he wants strikeouts. But he's had an absurdity already the last time. Right. Year. He, you know, he's, I'm not saying, he wouldn't be one of the best pitchers if he didn't. Yeah. But I, I, I just don't think ERA is like one of his top concerns. Like he's always said he would rather give up a long ball than a walk. Yeah, true. So, you know, giving up a run or two here isn't his major concern. He wants outs, 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 particularly strikeouts. Um, but that being said, I, I think he's just, he's the best pitcher on the planet. And I think over the course of a long season, his ERA will continue to dwindle. Um, Paul, we talked during the offseason, especially when the Nationals just signed Patrick Corbin, that, you know, he last year was last year maybe an anomaly. Um, he had a great season last year, but mm-hmm. his previous years weren't so great, and his ERAs might have been a little up there. So I'm going to say law average is kind of thing yeah. when give Max the benefit of the doubt where he has a lower ERA come October. And he does tend to heat up as the season goes along. His March, April ERA throughout his career is 335, and his May is 362. Wow, pathetic. <laughs> uh, and then, but then in June and July, it's like 292 and 282. So yeah. he does, that is when he really, the, when it is, it's hottest outside, he is at his hottest. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, I, I will go with still, you can't count out Max. That's right. But good problem to have for the Nationals. Yep. Two guys oh, yeah. who are going to have. Very small ERAs come the end of the season, ideally. Uh, All right, last question here, Bobby. Who do you trust more? This is probably the hardest one. Jeremy Hellickson or Steven Strasburg? Sticking with starting pitching. Oh, man. It's tough. It is tough because right— The way they're pitching right now. Well, yeah. Who would have thought that the the person holding down the Nats starting pitching ERA would be Steven (laughs) Strasburg? Like, he's got a—he's the— what five, right here? Five 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 six. five six. Um, see, uh, instinctively, I want to go Strasburg just because of track record. I mean, he, he you know, he's an all star pitcher, and you know when he's at his best, one of the best pitchers in the game. But Hellickson has just been, and it's only three starts though. And what, he hasn't. Oh, gone sorry, only than, two starts for Hellickson. And he hasn't gone more than six in either one of them. 
But he did have a relief appearance in which he gave up a home run to Bryce Harper. Right. Yeah. I'm going to say, sh- I, is, my it, thing is the is question just, right cons- now or overall? My, th- my thing is just basically, like, how concerned are you about Steven Strasburg, in a way? And, like, we know what we're going to get in, pa- in Jeremy Hellickson, which is, like, five and two-thirds of one-run ball pretty much every time he starts. Yeah. Would you rather have that guy at this point? And you know that absolutely we got to turn to six, seven, or in, you know, seven, eight, nine, we got to have pitchers lined up. Would you rather trust that guy with the ball or would you rather give Steven Strasburg, who has been not that great, but we've seen in the past, he can be a true ace. You know, he can, if when he, if he's on, he can give you eight innings of dominant 12K ball. So, like, who who at this point would you trust? Say you had a one-game playoff and Max Scherzer and – I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was you, like, Strasburg. Yeah. But, I mean, at this point, like, the way that Strasburg is pitching, how concerned would you be? See, I'm not that concerned yet. Just yet. It's only been a handful of starts for him. Yes, his ERA is up there. But we've seen flashes. Like, like his last outing, he had, like, a perfect – Five pitch first inning. I remember. I remember thinking, "Oh boy, here we like. Oh man, this could be a a, a gem from Strauss," yeah. and it ended up not being. But you know, he, we've. It's not like I, to me at least, it's not Strasburg of past where it's like, "Oh man, he is just not looking good." Right. We've at least seen him look good at times. It's just a matter of him putting it all together. Yeah, I would have confidence that he would put it all together sooner rather than later. Okay, and be the more dominant pitcher down the stretch. Now, I did have this conversation with. Our friend Jamal Collier of MLB.com yeah. on Wednesday night because Jeremy Hellickson was starting that night, mm-hmm. and I was thinking like watching Jeremy Hellickson. I mean, he and this is this is his niche, and he's talked about it. But you know, he's just consistently throwing 87, 88. and it's just like at one point does do people just start teeing, make, yeah, teeing off on him? Is that a mistake? Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about Strasburg, you know, his velocity being down. He's at least hitting 94, 95, and, and Hellickson yeah. was barely hitting 90. Right. But what Hellickson has going for him is that he just drills his spots. Yeah. I mean, he he's placing that ball exactly where he wants, and he looks so lackadaisical up there, very effortless. But, you know, at what point, how long can you go having your fifth starter only go twice through the, the lineup and then having to yank him and then also right. having guys not tee off on him because he doesn't throw high heat? Yeah. But, so, yeah. I'm going to go Strasburg. Uh, I'm not concerned quite yet. It's only been a handful of starts, and I think that we've seen enough flashes early on in the season that he'll put it together sooner rather than later. Some interesting stats from Hellickson from last year. He had one start all season in which he gave up more than three runs, and he also only had one start uh, in which, like uh, one healthy start, in which he went fewer than four and two-thirds innings. Four and one-thirds innings, rather. So, like, he was always between four and a third and, you know, just – and six, pretty much. Yeah. So, like, you know exactly what you're going to get. It's not going to be a whole lot of innings. But he is not going to – you He's just consistent. know he only got shelled in one outing. And we've already seen Strasburg not get shelled, per se, but get hit around. Uh, Yeah, close to being shelled. We've, we've seen a lot of yeah, loud – Loud outs off, off Strasburg. Well, and, the, the Giants more game so. that you alluded to, yeah. where he just started giving up home runs. It was like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop the, the bleeding other, here. The other thing here with Strasburg is, is health. I, yeah. I'm more concerned, can he go out every five days? Because, um, again, I think if he can, 
it'll play out where he'll get back to being normal Steven Strasburg. But right. if he has to do his annual DL trip or excuse me, IL trip, then that concerns me more than, yeah. you know, can he be more consistent than Jeremy Hudson? Right. And I know this is not the time to go into it, but everything, you know, just like with Anthony Rendon, free agency potentially looms with Steven Strasburg because yep. he's an option after this year. Yep. 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 Uh, yeah. And, and after next year. I was just going to it's going to be interesting. I mean, following along how his season plays out mm-hmm. with that looming is going to be interesting because, yep. you know, if he continues to struggle but pitches every 5 days, I mean, I don't know, that'd be so backwards cuz he'll prove that, "Hey, I can stay healthy and be consistent, but I wasn't as good as I've been before." So, I don't know. That'd yep. be interesting to follow along. All right, Paul, where can the people follow you on Twitter? At Paul Mancano. Bobby, how about you? I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Give Mass and Nationals a follow, too, and subscribe to the Mass and All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time.